The Rubbish Podcast. This is The Rubbish Podcast, hosted by Le Lagon Chef. So this week's podcast, I went and met the amazing Tom Hunt. We went down to Borough Market, had a couple of oysters, pint of Guinness and some cider, and we chatted all things food, obviously food waste. Talked about his Guardian column and his influences with food. It's a really, really, really interesting listen. So enjoy, and I'll see you all soon. The Rubbish Podcast. You walk up to someone at the party and they say, hey, Tom, what do you do? <laughs> you got, you got to, like, got to intro yourself. Yeah. Elevator pitch. Yeah, elevator pitch. I'd be like, hi, <laughs> I'm Tom. Nice, sweep your hair back. <laughs> yeah. Hunt, Tom, hunt. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, well, I, I'm a... But I've actually, I've kind of started life out as a chef, but I've become more of a food writer. That's my focus and real passion now. But it's completely connected, obviously, to my whole kind of chefing career because I'm mostly a rescue writer. Yeah. Love writing cookbooks. Guardian column, uh, which I write weekly as well, which is called Waste Not, which I'm sure you've maybe yeah, yeah. seen at some point. See it everywhere. Uh, every, everywhere in the Guardian. Everywhere in the Guardian. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, and yeah, and now a dad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, join the club. Yeah. How old's your little one? Two. Two. Yeah, I'm a slightly behind, but yeah, getting excited for the terrible tantrums that are, are yeah. going to come. She's starting to get real opinionated. <laughs> She's a dream. Good. Yeah, that's what we want to hear. Well, that's what you're meant to say anyway. That's the, that's the oh, bleak. No, honestly, right she's the joy of my life. So um, let's let's go back to cooking. Kids, uh, people are interested in kids on this podcast because it is the rubbish podcast. We talk about food. Um, what, how did you get into cooking? What was your your sort of like lead into? Like, were you, did you train somewhere or did you go and do like an apprentice or what was it? I was super passionate about food from when I was tiny, like a little kid, yeah. cooking as a toddler. But um, professionally, I tried to get a job locally and ended up at the local pub bottle in yeah <laughs> which was pretty average food but there was an exceptional chef there called ben hodges that became my best friend and mentor really and was as insanely passionate about food as i was and i mean i'm still passionate about food but then i was like looney tunes kind of that's all i could talk about ever yeah yeah and so that was yeah my whole topic of conversation I'd bore my friend stiff kind of like talking about you know whatever it was um, I was going to say talking about kombucha and things like that but I didn't drink kombucha then no, no, no. that's now that's now it's so 2020 yeah yeah um, but yeah anyway he was uh, kind of slightly eccentric off the wall kind of guy actually he was way ahead in terms of his vision of sustainability so like back then in 97 he set up and certified an organic festival cafe that was yeah certified by the soil association and the produce we were serving was incredible yeah yeah and yeah just and he was like heavily connected with spain through his mum who lived in the south and so a lot of his food was spanish and so that heavily influenced me and so yeah, when I started cooking out, it was like 
Spanish, Moorish kind of cuisine that yeah. I was most interested in. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I saw, like, when I, when I scrolled back through your Instagram feed and saw there was a lot of, like, Middle Eastern sort of, like, connection. And like, when I came and cooked to you that time, it's, like, a lot of Middle Eastern influence. Where was that? Where did that come in? Yeah, so... Well, like, like I said, he... I mean, his, like... Mum lived right in the south of Spain, so there it's quite... Well, they call it Moorish cuisine because of its connection to the Arab world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so th- th- it began there, but then also I was really, really into Moro restaurant. Yeah. And actually his brother, Jake Hodges, opened Moro with Sam and Sam Club at the time. So okay. it was like another link there. And so it was just, yeah, kind of like all my cookbooks back then were like Lebanese cuisine and stuff. And I just loved that kind of fusion of both kind of Spanish style tapas and then more Arabic meze. Yeah, yeah. So it was always sharing plates and kind of like big flavours, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's kind of like a similar trajectory to what I had because I went and worked in a restaurant and then I had this chef that I kind of like looked up to but I never told him that because it'll be too good for him but he, he worked at Morrow before so a lot of his influence was like all these Middle Eastern flavours and that definitely rubbed off on me now because whenever I go to cook something I'm always like first thing I do is turn around to the spice cupboard and go <laughs> what can I stick sumac on or you know what can I burn or what can I make taste amazingly and smoky and it's like yeah that, that influence is what like really resonates with me now and I did a little cook along the other day and I made a is it, I don't know you pronounce it Muhammaram is it Muhammara yeah the, 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 the pepper sort of yeah, yeah I'm about to cover that in the Guardian actually. yeah yeah so yeah. I made that and everyone was like what is this and I was like I don't know how you pronounce it but it's all my favourite flavours like you know like burnt peppers you know smoky I say Muhammara but I don't know <laughs> <laughs> let's just go with it it sounds yeah. good it sounded better than mine mine was very Essex mine was like Muhammara um but when when did um, when did sort of like you, know, you spoke about sustainability with like you know your last guy and it's like where did sort of like the food waste angle kind of like did it come front and center did it like smack you in the face or was there like like a shining moment that made you go God yeah, we're yeah. shit humans yeah yeah back in like 2011 basically Tristram Stewart who's the author of Waste a global scandal and really is the one of the main protagonists in this whole kind of story of global food waste and bringing it to light and pushing the global agenda to kind of reduce, you know, the impact. Um, His team invited me to do a feast on Southwark Bridge for the Thames Festival using waste and fish discards. And the second they asked me, I was like, wow, this is a crazy good idea. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I like... Just decide. I actually I made a little video <laughs> and got got in a f- filmmaker from the Channel Four to help make a little video and stuff. And we just went to town with it and cooked this incredible feast. And we called it the Forgotten Fish Restaurant. I mean, I dumpster dived in my lifetime before then, just you know for fun mostly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so I kind of was aware of waste, but I didn't want to lower my standards cooking this feast and I knew that waste was you know there was a lot of waste out there so I decided to only kind of source the majority organic foods that would have otherwise been wasted yeah yeah and then these fish discards and things like that that were just obviously day fresh better than you'd buy on any fishmonger's shelf usually yeah and um I was just completely shocked at the scale and quality of the food that was being wasted 
and we had like you know beautiful ripe organic cherry tomatoes and peppers and products that are really hard to sell because they're on that point where they're teetering to kind of like what as a chef you think might be perfect ripeness but in a shop as a a shopkeeper you're like going oh my god are these going to go moldy what you know but actually that's when you want to cook with an ingredient because it's like peak flavour yeah yeah I suppose that's what people look when they go to the supermarkets now is they look for stuff that's like oh I want to have it for a couple more days because I'm not 100% sure so that kind of like peak freshness is what people never really get to see because they don't know when it's going to go out you get loads of you're lucky they have ripe and ready these days in supermarkets don't they like for (laughs) wrapped in plastic but they're still not quite there Um, they're still not quite ripe or ready but yeah so that basically forced me to think like rethink everything I was doing and create what was what I then called the Forgotten Feast and do a lot more banquets and stuff and we just yeah we, we partnered with Fair Share and transformed their warehouse into this restaurant for the weekend yeah. and did lots of big banquets like that we yeah we um, helped Tristram with his pig idea campaign a couple of years later as well and did a feast for well two sittings of 500 on the terrace of the Royal Festival Hall wow. and we did four pigs and uh, yeah from nose to tail and it was really good actually it was really <laughs> brilliant it was such an experience yeah, trying yeah. to feed that many I know, people I, in one go I'm, are you okay? yeah yeah we'll, we'll order some, some stuff you, yeah you'd like to order yeah can we, we order? order some of your delicious 12 oysters 12 oysters yeah and, oh I'll have a pint of Guinness Guinness yeah, yeah and I'll have a, a cider of some description on yeah, yeah. great thank you um, yeah I, I, I do miss the buzz of you know, big big catering events. There is nothing quite quite like it. You know, like when I came and worked with you, it was kind of like you know getting back in the kitchen because I hadn't worked in the kitchen for ages. Neither had we. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't show. Yeah. Well, was, what did I have to make? It was like thirteen kilos of hummus. Yeah, in, in that was great. Cook. Thanks yeah. so much for coming down and helping, and then donating your yeah. wages to to. Um, what was it? Fair trade. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, all good. I, I said to my wife like because I've been doing my business and I've just been like cooped up it was just like nice to be out of the house and like speaking to someone different like yeah. especially like, no it was good it was good to have you yeah nice so food uh, I suppose I suppose one of the ones is um, what, what was your earliest memory of food uh, I, I, I remember reading um, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential and his one was the cheesy butter and I think I've always stuck with that one because it's kind of stuck with me, the French butter that you always thought was off, but it was actually proper butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slightly cultured or yeah, yeah. fermented, yeah. Nice, yeah. Um, cheesy butter. <laughs> Mine's not that classy, I'm afraid. Mine's probably pancakes with my gran. Yeah. Yeah, trying to flip them to hit the ceiling, <laughs> do double flips and stuff. Yeah, we could, I'd, yeah, go around to my grand's and cook a lot with her when I was younger in order to get my sweet fix mostly kind of cooking cakes and pancakes and <laughs> yeah, yeah. eating butter and sugar straight from the oh, bowl I always remember popping the tin of golden syrup and just like digging in I mm. still do mm. my wife takes the mickey out of me because I make cake mix and just eat it I love it it's so good <laughs> cookie dough yeah <laughs> that's how you get fat ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was I'm still a little bit plump, but I was definitely plump then. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up because I was like, I would got a bit chunky. Like when you work in kitchens, you obviously just eat, don't exercise, don't really look after yourself, and uh, 
but then you've, you've lost quite a bit of weight. All right. Easy. Well, it's because I saw it on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you posted about it like <laughs> yeah. not too long ago. I wouldn't have asked if I hadn't <laughs> <No>. seen it. <laughs> You're commenting on my weight now. You're looking um, gorgeous, by the way, so it's fine. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, to be honest, I've always struggled with my weight my whole life. Um, and yeah, it's something that I don't know. It's just kind of my, my genetic makeup or whatever. You yeah. know? I try to exercise as much as possible, but yeah, I mean, like lockdown and stuff, I just got really into walking, did a bit of running, started counting my steps. I'm pretty all or nothing and a little bit obsessive about things in that way. Yeah. And still on the way here, I was listening to my favorite podcast, which is Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. He's got this podcast called Feel Better, Live, Live More. Yeah. And I've just, yeah, listen to them religiously and he basically interviews different people about health and a lot of them about food but I'm interested in health holistically and um, he oh, here we go pints <laughs> talking of health lovely thank you yeah talking of health <laughs> Guinness is good for you isn't it yeah thank you full of iron I think that's what my dad told me he hurt his knee once and he made me run down the pub and get him pints of stuff Good for vegetarians. There we go. Or Austro vegans. What the fuck's an Austro vegan? You eat oysters. Ah, but you're classic. vegan. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, that's my excuse anyway because I'm a vegetarian mostly. By by night. <laughs> Quaff oysters by day. Yeah. Well, they have no cerebral cortex, and so they are arguably a plant. <laughs> They're like borderline. That you know between the two so you, and and an incredibly good thing to, to eat sustainably like obviously since uh, well in particular Seaspiracy there's been a lot of kickback towards kind of like fit people are just like no can't eat fish anymore yeah but it's not obviously as you know it's not black and white and there is a very well better than strong argument to, to eat oysters which are going to help purify our estuaries where yeah. they're farmed but this is what I find like this is what I've found anyway over the last like two years of doing what I've been doing is like talking to people like you talking to people like Connor and just like my mind being blown like thinking I'm eating salmon from like the Norwegian fjords it's good and he's like no it's bad and I'm like why and then he'll explain it I'm like oh and there's like lots of like little, all these intricacies in the food world that you know aren't front and centre like, yeah. unless they get trendy like avocados I find it all uh, all quite confusing that's what we're talking about Connor tonight about like how do you where do you get your sources of information from to make these yeah. these right decisions? Well, I get my source of information for fish from the Marine Conservation Society. Yeah. Because it's a science-based organisation and they have the best app called the Good Fish Guide and it basically gives you a traffic light code system on what's good to eat and when yeah, you need to think or what you should avoid. Yeah. And there's some interesting fish on there that you think are either good or bad but are just completely opposite or are only good if they're from this specific kind of zone of yeah, yeah. one ocean <laughs> caught at this time of year yeah. by this fishing method so you have to be yeah really cautious but things some things like oysters are a really good bet yeah a lot of shellfish actually yeah not all lobsters are a bit trickier but this is i think this is the the, the, the issue that i've kind of seen with food waste and sustainability is there's this very like highbrow view of it like if you start talking to your everyday person about you know fishing methods in, a, in an Indian ocean to catch this fish 
it's not going to resonate with them. And I'm like, how do we resonate to this sort of like, I don't want to say lower ring of people, but people that don't really understand food waste and like the real say lower <laughs> ring of people. You know, like the, you know, the people that don't really understand that food waste or sustainability or climate change is, is a massive fucking issue. Like, how do you communicate to those people and make them understand that, you know, I want a piece of salmon, but how can they do that sustainably or what options can they have? Yeah, I think globally, actually, it's the poorest people that have the less impact, the least impact, especially like, you know, in um, the global south or in countries where people are living in extreme poverty without yeah. you know, all of these luxuries that we're able to consume. But I mean, even this, I, I think as a rule, even in the UK, it's similar. Like when you're really plush and you're just excessive and dining out on all these kind of very opulent foods, a, a lot of the time that's where the impact is going to lie. So firstly, I'd say people in poverty certainly have less responsibility. But then I'd also say that I found it's surprising how globally there's people are far more clued up than yeah. we than we might think initially like especially in like countries like india and around the world they're on the front line of climate yeah. change it's like we you know if you talk to our farmers here they can give you some ideas of how the, our climate's changing but in places like india or bangladesh you know with the flooding and stuff like that it's yeah. really extreme and people are hyper aware of it yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like climate change in the UK doesn't really feel relevant because there's not such a massive, like, you know, shift. Like in Australia, you get wildfires. In, like, you know, the Antarctic, you get all these melting icebergs. And it's all of those big things. In the UK, you're like, oh, a bit of rain or a bit of sun. Like, it doesn't feel as real. It doesn't screw you over as much as, you know. Well, I think it, it has and does screw a lot of, yeah, farmers over yeah, in particular. Yeah. Like, but as, yeah, someone living in London. Yeah. Like, kind of working like in food writing or as a chef you might not notice it you're right yeah um, but have you been watching the, the Jeremy Clarkson farm I've thought I, I <laughs> detest Jeremy Clarkson but I've thought about it I was on a yeah I was on Borough we're in Borough Market now I was on Borough Talks the other day with Jan from Northfield Farm and he was rating it raving about it yeah because yeah, there's one bit where it's like he plants a load of crops and then it's like eight weeks of pure sun he's just like how are we meant to water the plants and he's just like acres of land he's like well you've got to go to your little creek you've got to pump it out a thousand litres of water's done like one line of and he's like yeah. this is hard yeah. and he's like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that kind of like leads me on to like the way that people look at produce like it's the you know the, the sort of the, the availability that we have in the UK of like all of these amazing ingredients even if they come from you know abroad it's things like potatoes that they say are the most wasted ingredients so it's because they're so cheap and you can just get rid of them and replace them quite easily it's like how how do we how do we change people's like you know bias on that you know is it like i've tried growing my own potatoes now i know it takes a long time yeah yeah <laughs> they don't just pop up and you're done with it so I, yeah growing your own food is definitely an education yeah but going back quickly to your previous question like for everyone, it's empowering to take control and cook and learn about how we can eat better for the environment. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's like I was saying before, I, I think it's quite exciting to actually take the ball out of 
the individual's court and place it back in our leader's court because yeah. you know at the end of the day they've got control over our food system in a way that we never will have obviously yeah. I mean it's interesting as a like as an as an individual yes I believe collectively our actions are incredibly important as a restaurant owner or food business they're, they're quadrupled by the number of mouths you're feeding and then obviously you start to go up to a systemic level and it's incredible like the the power that they have yeah and too often they're just fucking over everything that we're the, all the good that we're doing yeah. by making really bad decisions i think this is what i i when i first started the business and i was like right I'm going to stick with this like household number because this is where I feel comfortable because I don't understand all of the big sort of the topics. And it was like, you know, speaking to, to Connor and you guys, I see it all the time with like the UN um, food system and the chef's manifesto and all of that. And that is like looking at how do you unfuck a food system that's being screwed over by the bigger people. And uh, I find it fascinating, but I'm still, I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a big subject. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, because this is obviously all about food. What, uh, what, what would you say is one of your most like memorable experiences of food? Mem- most memorable experiences of food. Yeah, like if you closed your eyes and you went, oh god. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I want to think of yeah wilderness. I can't. It's a hazy memory. Always the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I helped set up the Wilderness Banquets. So there's like a ser- at Wilderness Festival each year. They have these huge banquets where they invite different chefs to come and join. The year I was there, Sam and Sam Clark from Morrow came. I did Friday night, my own menu. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to do Friday night, my own menu. And then Saturday, we had uh, Peachum Nurseries, which was Sky Ginjal at that time. Okay and her head chef Tito came and cooked with us and he was just this brilliant kind of like very gentle Italian like chef and I remember a gentle him, Italian chef is that very, such a thing? he was so gentle <laughs> so gentle Sky's team I think I get the impression that it's a very feminine kitchen which she employs a lot of women chefs and I guess he needed to fit within that and then yeah they produce beautiful food but yeah, he was great. I mean, he was like saying, you know, I had to prepare some tomatoes for him. And he was like saying, how do the tomatoes want to be cut? How, you know, feel the tomato. And I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about it like that. And it was nice, you know. And actually, that's, I recently read something about Japanese food philosophy and it reminded me of that because it's like, actually, you know, the produce is so important and it, it might know how it wants to be cut or you might have to connect with it yeah, yeah. on another level to understand you know how it should be prepared um, but yeah I mean it was it was a it was an intense weekend of feeding you know 600 people three covers of 200 really what would yeah have been Michelin standard food but you know Sky's food was kind of a Michelin certified and um, my night my night was great it was it was fun but I had this major fuck like fuck up on the starter where we'd fed about 160 people and I realised the soup wasn't going to feed another 40 people <laughs> luckily it was this kind of spring vegetable soup 
and the idea of the soup was that it was just the freshest, most brilliant <laughs> vegetables we could find, freshly kind of finely diced and then heated just until they were just cooked. Wow, they look amazing. Oysters have arrived. Cheers. I think that was my favorite, first one. This is romantic. Yeah, quick uh, ad break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. talking about the soup. Um, and that was going to be one of my questions is what was your, or what would you say is one of your biggest ever cock ups in the kitchen? Like everyone has one of those ones that you're like, I'll never forget that night or. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely this, this soup. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> anyway, we, we, did, we managed to get, we basically, I realized early enough to say, right, oh my. Lord, everyone stop what they're doing. We haven't got enough soup. Everyone chop. And and so we just quickly prepared these last kind of 20 portions. Yeah. And got through it and it was fine. I don't I don't think anyone noticed. <laughs> well you never send the, the old soup and the new soup to the same table, right? <laughs> yeah. Well it was just two two or three long lines of tables, so yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, there's been quite a few sort of experiences of like running short and you're like ah what how'd you get out of this one thin it down you've got to get real creative <laughs> haven't you sometimes it's like it's yeah it's intensive yeah and <laughs> it's like what are you gonna do um it's like a I would say it's like asking a magician to do a trick but if like someone came up to you and said what would be your favourite dish to cook if you could cook a dish if I could cook any dish like, you know, it could be the most enjoyable that you enjoy eating or that you enjoy cooking for someone. Yeah, I find that that's a tricky question for some reason. I'm trying to come up with a menu for Taste of London now. I'm doing the fire pit. And we've got to do essentially eight demos and feed 50 people each time. That's, that's nice of them. It sounds <laughs> ridiculous, doesn't it? So I'm trying to think of something that's really practical and, and fun, but... I love cooking paella. Yeah. And I think that's, if you're cooking at home, it's just a brilliant dish to cook for a dinner party or whatever. So like, it's the, the one pot wonder. Yeah, yeah. It's just like impressive, delicious to eat, really. And I loved, I mean, I quite love, I love to teach myself in detail how something should be cooked well. And so I did a lot of, re a couple of years ago when, well, actually it's a long time ago now, when we opened Poco in Bristol, a few, kind of couple of years in, so about eight years ago, I decided to put some paellas on the menu and did a lot of research yeah. and on how to make like the kind of best paella. And yeah. What's, so what's, now, the, what's the trick? <laughs> well, there's a few tricks. I think Nora Peppers. Okay. Which is something I, before then, hadn't realised. It was like this essential base as part of the sofrito. It was like these Nora peppers, which are the dried, little deep red dried peppers that you find on strings in shops like Brindisa. Yeah. And <clears throat> so you have to soften them in water and then pound them to a paste in a pestle and mortar. And they've got a really incredible depth of flavour. It just kind of adds so much to a plate. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, of course, saffron. So toasting the saffron and then 
again grinding it and turning it into a, a liquid to add at the end so you kind of I've never toasted saffron before yeah I so think it's always been chuck it in boiling water yeah yeah so Maybe. toast it first yeah. just in a in a dry pan yeah. until it starts to turn colour but doesn't burn obviously yeah and then yeah it grind it grind it down and it becomes a bit more intense wow. in flavour and then a touch of water lovely yeah yeah so I think I, I always been one of those ones to get them in those little square plastic tins what I always remember and then yeah 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 and there's some other there's so many there's a few little things to remember like the rice is gonna take somewhere between 18 and 22 minutes to cook from when it hits the pan with a sofrito yeah so you've got to be you don't want to add the rice to the pan till you know people are going to be at the table yeah and then it's got to be served well I suppose this kind of like takes us back because that took me back to like quite a a childhood memory of going to Spain a lot and having paella and like um, they vary in Spain too yeah sorry that's right we used to have like big steaks on like granite rocks like they'd heat it up and it was yeah. like the first time we'd ever had things like that and like ali oli and things like that like what's the an experience that you'd like to give your daughter when um, you know food wise if you could take them somewhere and experience something <clears throat> well I've travelled a lot around India and well, Latin America too, but in particular, I really want to take around, like take her to India, mm. exploring there. Not, I guess, food-wise. <laughs> at some point, we might get ill or something. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm determined because I've like traveling there. I've spent about a year of my life in India, traveling on various occasions, and I've seen so many people traveling with their kids there. I yeah. feel really confident to do that, and feel like it's such an incredible, rich experience with. Yeah, in, in terms of food, and and um, the markets there are incredible, and the food is just kind of super cheap and wonderful. And I'm yeah, I'd love to take her there. I think you have to, because I, I went to India for for one month, and uh, I think it's one of those places that you just have to go there with a bit of an open mind. Like I'm going to order this, and it may not be what it says it is. <laughs> You're just gonna have to go with it. Like my dad's, a, he's a good eater, but he like he's a bit, a bit picky sometimes. So like, when, I remember when we went there, he was like, "I'm just gonna have fish. What fish is it? <laughs> and potato, because I know that's simple. It's sort of sort of like going too obscure, but yeah, yeah, definitely. And it might, yeah, I'm not sure what what she'd eat there. Like in particular, because obviously there's a lot of spicy food too. I mean, the curd, they're very fond of their curd. Yeah. And, like, serve it from stools, and that's a magnificent thing. And then whip that up into a mango lassi. Wow. Mm. That's something special. I always... Where we went, there was a, we had special toast, and it was, uh, it was the simplest thing. It was a piece of toast with, like, really gently warmed, thinly sliced pepper, tomato, egg, and it just had black pepper and salt. And I've never been able to recreate that taste but I put some uh, some like the really naff finely ground black pepper on my eggs the other day and I was like took me back I was just like oh my god it's almost that taste <laughs> they were using crap pepper yeah that's all it was <laughs> but I remember doing a bit of dosa is a good one do you know yeah. dosa yeah. yeah that's good for kid friendly as well I mean depending on the, the filling but so delicious yeah I, I love the um, the sort of vibe of it as well. Like when I sat in the kitchen with the guys and they had like gas canister and then a big wok of oil just sort of like rocking on a on like a big old gas cylinder. And you're like, so oh. dangerous. <laughs> Excited though. Keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Should we have another couple of oysters? Yeah. Got two more. 
one one question is uh, so so like fermentation plays a big role in like the the ideology of food waste and preservation and stuff like that like what were your your first experiences or like how did you really sort of find out about fermentation or ex- start experimenting with it I suppose do you know what I can't remember I think it was like a slow filter of slow of learning about it over my last two decades of cooking yeah um, <clears throat> I guess memorable moments though of, of kind of learning about fermentation the main one would be running a couple of panels at the Good Life Experience with Sandor Cats. So I was, yeah, fortunate enough to... Actually, each year I run a panel there about food sustainability or some topic and often do a cookery demo as well. And that year I was, yeah, there leading the panel with Sandor Cats, who's obviously the kind of godfather of fermentation with his amazing book, The Art of Fermentation, and incredible knowledge yeah and that was just yeah for me mind-blowingly brilliant like kind of chatting with him on a panel but um and he's just yeah like you know he lives and breathes it doesn't he to such an extent something i interesting i learned from him and agree with and had found it hard to verbalize before is like this idea of why should we um, why do we feel the need to sterilise everything because actually bacteria is omnipresent and everywhere so it's almost like this fallacy that we feel like we can you know sterilise our houses or or even a, a jam jar before we're about to ferment something and really what we need to do is just make obviously make sure it's well cleaned but we need to kind of set that product up with the right conditions to be able to ferment well and that might be the addition of salt and but actually we're at, we want to add bacteria to that yeah, yeah. ingredient through kind of rubbing the salt into the sauerkraut with our hands or you know it's it's actually not and doesn't need to be a sterile process yeah and and perhaps the addition of chemicals isn't a, necessarily a good thing. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. no, I, I I first well I say my first sort of like foray into um, like fermentation was with doing kombucha like only a couple of months ago. I I'd, I'd, I'd sort of like always shied away from it because I never really knew the ins and outs of it. And I kind of wanted someone to show me before you know going on my way. And yeah, I did kombucha with Connor, and it was just like mind blowing how easy it was. But then also how delicious it was and how good it is for you and like how expensive it is in shops. I was like, really? You know, like, you know, making it at home costs you tuppence. And then you go to a shop and it's like, what, three pounds something for a little stubby of kombucha. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that. It's as expensive as beer but without the tax. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah, it's if a good money gonna, earner. If you're going to do, if you're going to set up a business, set up a kombucha business. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Forget a microbrewery. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's. I love the simplicity of fermentation yeah. too. Actually, one of my upcoming columns is a stru- strawberry cavas, which is fermented berries as a drink. Yeah. And it's so simple. Yeah. Like some berries, maybe some honey, 
some water. Is that you put it on your Instagram a few weeks ago? Or yeah, 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 I did a tasting when I was yeah, yeah when I did the recipe like recipe test. Yeah, I did a tasting and popped yeah. it on the Instagram. It's quite fun. Because the other one that sort of popped up with like when I was having a conversation with Vodbox and then discarded spirits is they were talking about uh, I don't know how you pronounce it again it'd be like a Muhammara thing but I'm going to call it a Tepache pineapple Tepache yeah Tepache rocks yeah. yeah I've never tried it and, yeah uh, it I discovered that through the Guardian column as well just like you know actually no that's not true I was at, uh, I was in Copenhagen and I went to Sanchez like Rosie Sanchez's kind of taco place and they had it on tap yeah it's like mildly alcoholic and totally delicious <laughs> really fun to make yeah. and just a complete winner yeah and it's like when, when, when I spoke to the discarded spirits guys they were like going, oh yeah it's this drink called tapache it's basically like pineapple skins a little bit of liquid and a bit of sugar in and that's it and I'm like well that makes that and they're like yeah and I'm like yeah all good thank you yeah good thanks you're beautiful no, we're good, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's that's the thing with, like, fermentation that I find really fascinating. You know, like the whole sourdough thing as well, where it's literally, what, flour and water, and it can make this yeah. ridiculously amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, good wine. It's just great. To yeah, say. yeah. It's like, actually, good food is often the simplest food. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, right, this is one, one I always leave it on, but it, it'll probably be a bit of a, a trace back to one you've already answered, but it's the old death row meal. If you were on death row, I don't know what you would have done to get there. You don't seem like the kind of guy that would ever make it to death row. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if you was on death row, what would be the... Uh, you can have a, a starter main and dessert if you want, or you can yeah, just... Yeah. Uh, whatever you would eat. Death row meal. I always what, I want to answer this one in a slightly odd way <laughs> I, I think I'd <laughs> I, I kind of get a bit too like okay how would I want to feel if I was on death row <laughs> I wouldn't want to feel like stuffed and sick from the amount of chips and steak and good wine I've drunk I'd want to feel really healthy and zen <laughs> because I'm about to die <laughs> and I just want to be I'd want to have like yeah, almost a meditative meal that was like incredibly restorative and and just of course delicious. And maybe I've just discovered this new restaurant in Japan called Monk. Okay. And uh, I've just bought uh, his cookbook. I can't remember the name of the chef, but um, his, he cooks everything from a wood oven. It's very minimal and look, you know, all about the quality of the ingredients. I feel like if I could go to a place, I'd request. Because I've always wanted to go to Japan to discover the food and never yeah. have. Yeah. Travelled so much in my life, but never been there. So I'd, I think I'd request a meal in Monk. <laughs> I'd have a 12-course meal in Monk. Yeah, you, I think that's the best answer. It's like, what would you like me to do? Well, you have to take me somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take me to Japan, please. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd let him choose the menu. Nice, yeah. Um, I think there's, there's, there is something quite incredible about just like, you know, like the rawness of cooking over fire. Like there's a, a place, I think it was like John Turo went to a place called Siete Fuegos in Argentina. It was like translated to like seven fires Francis or whatever. Mormon, yeah. I remember my mouth just like, this isn't a visual thing, but my mouth was just like open the whole time watching like the Diablo fire, which was like two 
iron plates and then it just like you put your meat in the middle and it had heat from top and bottom like a grill and a plug oh so yeah yeah Francis Norman the owner of that restaurant is one of my heroes actually he's this kind of incredible like he's a superstar in Argentina yeah and uh, uh, he's yeah kind of I don't know how old he is but he's an older gentleman now he's a slight almost odd because he's so like you know the man yeah, he's yeah. Like, <laughs> he like at one point he's saying I'm the pointer I've got that you know I'm, I point and people do things I don't no, you know should we have a coffee to finish yeah yeah it feels like maybe next door it feels like it's a bit loud yep great okay so thank you so much for coming to have a chat Tom we've uh, we've relocated and we're on <laughs> we're on ice cream now ice cream and coffee to finish um, so just so if, if anyone wants to find you and follow you what you do what can uh, where can they find you socials guardian yeah yeah uh, yeah, please check out my Guardian column Saturdays in Guardian Feast. It's right at the back. It's a little column called Waste Not. Basically, each week I highlight a different byproduct or ingredient and create a recipe for it and some ideas about how to use it up. And then, yeah, otherwise, my website, actually, I put a lot of effort into my website, tomsfeast.com, or you can get there through chef.tomhunt.co.uk as well. And uh, that's kind of... Yeah, full of recipes, my root fruit manifesto, and loads of other articles and things like that too. Because we didn't even touch on your book, did we? No, we <laughs> forgot about the book. We forgot about the book. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Tom's got a book. If you, yeah. if you want to go and buy it, what was it called? Eating for Pleasure, People and Planet. And where can they get it? In any good bookshop <laughs> or online. But right. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That book was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a labor of love, and isn't just any old cookbook. It's got a 25,000 word introduction that is a deep dive into food sustainability and yeah, which basically lays out my manifesto of root fruit eating yeah. and how we can really support people and planet. Well, while we're eating our ice cream, we might as well have a quick talk about it instead of just disappearing. Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah, it's really crazy. I spoke to Doug McMaster and his book was like five years in the making, you know, and uh, I've always had this thing in my head with people that just generate cookbooks after cookbooks after cookbooks after cookbooks you know like I'm not going to mention any names we know who they are and they just have no personality or no real you know philosophy behind them but then like yourself you know your book is like you said it's basically like you laid out there it's your manifesto and it's the same as Doug like years of work all condensed into one thing yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah in some ways it's 10 years in the making because well when I first started those food waste banquets back in 2011 I coined this term root fruit eating and so it started out as like this kind of zero waste idea of making sure we could eat everything from root to fruit or root now there's like other people have come up with similar names like root to stem and root to leaf and stuff like that but initially I was like okay food waste how can I kind of communicate this idea root to fruit and then but quite quickly, it evolved into this very broad sustainability philosophy because, of course, food waste is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, yeah. And why do we want to prevent food waste? Because of the biodiversity loss and resources that are kind of, yeah, squandered and all these other things. And so, yeah, it became this... And I'm, which is one reason I'm so glad I picked 
uh, a slightly ambiguous term. In some ways, root to fruit doesn't make as much sense as root to stem, but it rhymes. <laughs> and in other ways, it, it does suit my idea better because it's a much broader philosophy and, I, and sustainability manifesto. Um, you can say, you know, part of root to fruit eating is supporting our farmers in their diversity of produce that they farm from root to fruit yeah, yeah. seasonality all of these different things um, and then you know everything else from reducing biodiversity loss to um, the, the importance of supporting our farmers and, and the people who, yeah. who, who produce our food well, I think that's, the, I mean, that's the, when you summed it up you basically you know you can look at food waste very narrow mindedly like I do like let me just talk to people how you can eat food you know that's what that's my mission very simply like eat the food you buy and then we yeah, can kind of do our part it's true yeah it's solid and then you go back and then you trace that back and it just sort of like opens up and unlocks even more things it's like oh but what if you did this and what if we looked after the farmers but then who needs to look at you know and it's I suppose that's where you're you're coming at it from from like the massive like holistic view of everything which yeah. is yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yeah it's kind of but for me what's interesting about food waste is such a tangible topic that everyone feels passionate about so it's a great way to start this yeah. conversation yeah and I always say it as well it's like I was in you know the fitness industry and it was very like tit for tat I'm better than you you're this I'm that blah 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 but like the food waste world everyone just wants to muck in and share you know like I come and help you you come and talk to me on my podcast Connor like gives up his time for free to talk to me Doug you know gives his knowledge away to me you know people just want to collaborate and do things for like the greater good <clears throat> whereas like the fitness industry is just like yeah I'm better than you I've got more muscles than you you know like <laughs> dick swinging and it's like oh. well look amazing talking to you Tom you too ice cream and we, we've got to go pick Sorry, up our yeah. kids so, I'm doing uh, more eating than talking <laughs> nice <laughs> Nice one. Thanks so much. No worries. The Rubbish Podcast. <laughs>